Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much for joining us online. Um, obviously, this is not what we were expecting on this New Year's Day, but so glad you could join us. If you could open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30, we will get into the Word of God. This is Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30. If you're joining us online, and all of you are, hopefully, uh, you'll see the passage on your screen at home. But Luke 4, 16 through 30, this is God's Word. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in, the, in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were, was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, Lord, and we thank you so much again for this beautiful, brand new 2003 Sunday morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though we are here uh, streaming online only, Lord, you are with us. Um, Father, we know that you are gathering your church into worship. So, Lord God, we do thank you for technology. We thank you for the different ways that we can worship you. Meet us, Father, today. Meet us through this word. Meet us during this worship. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I just want to say Happy New Year. And again, welcome to our first service of 2023. We're so glad you could join us. And even though this is not the service we expected to have, it is a service that we're able to have by God's mercy. Most of you guys know, but our normal facility, the Dale Center, is closed today because Sunday happened to land on New Year's Day, or New Year's Day happened to land on a Sunday, I should say. And on top of that, our outdoor service that we were planning to have was canceled because on New Year's Day, it's just raining. It's a rainy day. And so for both of those reasons, we're uh, here in the loft. These are things that are beyond our control. But what is in our control is we can still choose to worship God. So hopefully um, you're able to stay with us the entire time and worship with us. But as we look ahead to a brand new year, I can't think of anything more important to, than to gather and to worship the Lord together. And a brand new year always brings with it a sense of excitement and expectancy, doesn't it? 
And that's interesting to me because if you think about it, a brand new year really has nothing special inherently about it. It's just something to mark the passage of time. And yet we all sense the potential a new year carries. Because whenever you look back on the previous year, you realize how much can take place in one year. So for example, think back to how much happened in 2022. But a lot happened. But people got married. Babies were born. Friends and family passed away. Some started college. Some moved to California. Some moved out of California. As a church, I remember going to Malawi for the first time. There were new people we met, new things we experienced. There were new challenges we faced. And so all these things and more happened in 2022. And if all of that happened in just one year, then just imagine how much can happen in this new year. That's the potential I'm talking about. Okay, that's the expectancy that we all sense at the beginning of a brand new year. So every new year is a gift from God to us. So if all of that is true, then here's a question worth considering. But how do we make the most of this brand new year? Okay, how can you and I make the most of this time that we have in 2023? Okay, how can we invest this time that God is giving to us into the things that matter the most? And we don't get an unlimited number of years to decide. You know, just last night before going to bed, I got this news. I was very unexpected. But somebody who used to attend our church, this was years ago, he suddenly passed away. It was very unexpected. And he went to be with the Lord. And so this brother finished his race. And he actually never got to see 2023. He literally passed away on the last day of 2022. And so when I got that news, that was a startling reminder that the years that we have are not unlimited. They are limited. They are limited. And so we need to make the most of the time that we have. So how do we do this? Well, thankfully, there is a clear answer from Scripture. There is a clear way that we can make the most of 2023. And the answer, you already know it, is always the same answer, is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The Bible makes this incredible claim, but the greatest work that is taking place in the world today is centered on Jesus. So is there a lot happening in the world apart from the name of Jesus? Absolutely. But when it comes down to the greatest things, when it comes down to the things that will impact the course of this world, by far it is Jesus, everything connected to him. You can say it like this, but everything God is doing in the world today can be brought down to one single thing, Jesus. And the degree to which your life connects with Jesus and his work around the world is how you will make the most of 2023. So it's very simple. And the degree to which your life is not connected to Jesus and the work he's doing in the world, you're going to be wasting your time. So this is not to say you should be doing nothing other than read your Bible, go to church, pray. No, there are a lot of things you're going to be doing in 2023, obviously. But whatever your life is about, whether it's going to school, raising kids, building a business, working, Whatever it may be, the ultimate reason, the telos, for why you're doing those things has to be Jesus. It is Jesus. My pastor back in L.A., when I used to attend his church back in college, he used to say this all the time. But one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So remember that. One life will soon be passed. Again, I was reminded of that very vividly last night. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
So today what I want to do is that we're going to actually wrap up our series on Advent. Um, we're pushed back a little bit this year, one week later. But we're going to be looking at one final sermon on Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ. And today we're going to look at the Old Testament prophecy about his mission. About his mission. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what Jesus is continuing to do in the world today. And if we want to make the most of this upcoming year, then again, the answer is very simple. You need to connect your life to that. I need to connect my life to Jesus' mission. So what he came to do, okay, this is the, by far the most important thing that we could be doing with our lives this year. So Jesus' mission, what he came to do is the only answer to the real world problems we all face. Okay, this is why, by far, this is the most important thing we can do. It is the only answer to the real world problems we will face. So I'm talking about problems such as our guilt before a holy God, which condemns us. I mentioned this about a, two weeks ago, but everyone, believers and non-believers alike, we carry around this burden of guilt. We all feel it. Well, what's the answer to that? I'm talking about the sin that wages war against our souls. If you think about it, the greatest enemy we have is right within us. We carry this enemy within. It is this destructive force called sin. And it is constantly undermining the good in our lives. So what's the answer to that? What's your answer? The injustices we see in the world and all the suffering that it causes, things like crushing poverty, oppression, persecution. Okay, what's the answer to that? I'm talking about things like wars, broken relationships, broken marriages, illness, disease, depression, a sense of emptiness, aimlessness in life. Okay, what's the answer for all these things? And I'm sure in addition to all that, you can think of half a dozen problems in your own life, things that you're wrestling with uniquely. Okay, what's the answer to all these things? You know, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the famous words of E. Stanley Jones. He's a very respected missionary and theologian. He already passed away. But he said, the kingdom of God is God's total answer to man's total need. This is what we're talking about today. I'm basically saying the same thing, but a little differently. But Jesus' mission which the Old Testament prophesied about. But his mission was to bring God's kingdom here on the earth through his life, death, and resurrection. And to everyone who receives this kingdom, it is God's total answer to their total need. Okay, it's the same thing. Okay, that is the only answer we have to the deepest needs that we face. So this is the connection we need to make between Jesus' mission and our profound, persistent problems. we got to make that connection. Otherwise, Jesus is just another good story. Okay, he's just a religious tradition. We need to make this connection. Okay, why, why are we believers? Why do we come to church? Why are you joining us online on a New Year's morning, right? New Year's Day. Well, hopefully it's because somehow, somewhere, you realize what Jesus came to do and who he is connects directly to our deepest problems. In fact, it is the only answer to our deepest problems. So hopefully you've made that connection, and I'm here to encourage you to make it again. Make it again this year. That is the only way that we will center our lives on Jesus and make this new year count. Okay, this is how you're going to not waste your time and how I'm not going to waste my time. So we need to make our connection between our problems and Christ's mission. And so what is Christ's mission? Okay, what is his mission? Well, the Bible tells us through Old Testament prophecy and the one that Jesus quoted for us comes from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. 
And this prophecy has to do with the mission of the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. Once he comes, Isaiah was prophesying 700 years ahead. This prophecy was 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah, looking far into the future, he was prophesying, once the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. This is his mission. So what does it say about the Messiah's mission? Well, first it tells us how he came. Okay, how he came. Now in Luke 4, it says Jesus was back in his hometown in Nazareth. This is where he grew up. And Luke puts this at the very beginning of Jesus', Jesus ministry. So this is how it all started. Okay, this is the very beginning of his public ministry. And it says in Luke 4, he walked into a synagogue. And a synagogue was basically church for the Jewish people. They had synagogues everywhere, pretty much in every little town you can find a synagogue. Very much like churches today. And Jesus entered this synagogue on a Sabbath, as was his custom. So Jesus was a regular churchgoer. Okay, this is what he did all the time. And in the Jewish synagogue, they would have had a simple liturgy, an order of worship. Okay, we have an order of worship at our church. But in this synagogue, they would have possibly begun with singing a hymn. This was very typical. And then they would have recited some prayers. And then they would have opened up the scriptures and read from the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And usually after that, they would read from the prophets. And then after the reading of scripture, they would have somebody come up and teach. They would give a sermon, very much like a sermon right now. And so this is where the leader of the synagogue at that point in the liturgy, invited Jesus to come and speak. And the reason is because Jesus was somehow recognized as a rabbi. Maybe there was word out there that Jesus started this ministry of teaching and preaching. So they invited Jesus to come up and give a word. So this is where we pick up, Luke 4, 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. So Jesus didn't choose this. It was just handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And then now Luke is quoting the prophecy in Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, and because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this is mind-blowing. So here through the prophecy of Isaiah 61, Jesus said two unbelievable things about how he came. Two unbelievable things. First, he said he came as a fulfillment of scripture. He said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now think about this. The Jewish people have been reading Isaiah for a very long time, right? This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. The Jewish people have been reading Isaiah 61 for 700 years. I don't know whose car alarm that is. Is that mine? <laughs> no? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> you guys hopefully can't hear it, but there's a car alarm going off here. <laughs> Anyways, the Jewish people have been reading Isaiah 61 for 700 years, and then suddenly on some random day, Jesus shows up to this little synagogue in a little town in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, and then he takes the book of Isaiah, he reads this prophecy, and he says, everyone, today, as you hear me read this, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And it's like, what? Again, mind-blowing. And so what Jesus is saying here is, when I came here, I didn't come any which way. But everything about my life, my birth, my life, my death, my mission, was according 
to Scripture. This is what Jesus was claiming. So Jesus did nothing apart from what was already prophesied about in Scripture. So there was this radical sense of Jesus being sent on someone else's mission. Okay, this was not his own mission. He came on someone else's mission. He did not come to the earth to fulfill his own personal purpose, but he came to fulfill someone else's purpose. He was here on the earth to accomplish the Father's mission. So God the Father was the architect. He was the director, the conductor, that was orchestrating everything to accomplish his goals, his way. This is how Jesus came. This is very important. But that's not all. But Jesus also said, as he read this prophecy, I came with the Spirit of God upon me. He said that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this is probably a reference to a few chapters back when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John. And then it says, heaven opened and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove and then rested upon him. So Jesus, in a very literal sense, had the Spirit of God upon him. This is exactly the same thing as being anointed. When Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me. It's the same thing. The Spirit of God is on Jesus. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. Same thing. And so what's the importance of this anointing of the Spirit? Well, the anointing meant someone was set aside by God. That's another way of saying he was holy or she is holy, set aside by God. And they were set aside by God for a special work for God. And it was, be, it was to be done in the power of God. So the moment someone was anointed, all of that was true. They were set aside by God for a special work for God, to do in the power of God. And so nothing about Jesus' mission was really his own mission, but it was the Father's mission. Okay, this is so important. It was the Father's mission. And he is testifying here, I could not do this in my own power. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So here's Jesus. He's truly God, he's truly man, but he had emptied himself of his power and majesty that he had in heaven. Okay, we read, we read that in Philippians 2, elsewhere. Without ever losing his divine nature, he gave up the use of his divine nature, certain qualities of his divine nature. And so he's truly God, but he's also truly man, like one of us. And so Jesus was utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit when he was here. He needed the Spirit's anointing. And in doing that, he became the first spirit man. In fact, he was so identified with the Holy Spirit, later the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Christ. Jesus put his imprint on the Spirit, kind of like a seal or a ring. You press it into a piece of wax. The Spirit is like wax. Jesus was like the ring. And Jesus permanently put his imprint on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit became so identified with Jesus, the Spirit became the Spirit of Christ. So Jesus was the first Spirit man. He was filled by the Spirit without measure. And now, because we're in Christ, we are the Spirit people, living in utter dependence on the Spirit like Jesus. So does that all make sense? He is the spirit man, and because of him, we are now the spirit people. So what are we talking about here? What does all of this mean? Okay, please pay attention. Jesus came here on a mission, and it was radically centered on God the Father. His mission was orchestrated and initiated by God the Father. He said, according to Scripture. 
It was empowered and led by God the Father. Jesus said, I have been anointed. He has anointed me. So what are we saying? Jesus' mission, which he came to solve the deepest problems in this world and in our lives, was radically God-centered. It was God-centered. And this is why he was so effective in bringing God's solutions to the world's problems. Have you thought about how is it possible that Jesus in three short years, because he really only did ministry for three years, how is it possible that in three short years he changed the world and is still changing today, 2,000 years later? And not just in a superficial way. He didn't just bring the internet, right? He didn't just solve, like, you know, tax problems, you know? But he solved the deepest, most profound problems that we all face. How did he do that in three years? It's because he was so radically God-centered in his mission, you know, I remember coming across this poem, an anonymous poem, uh, when I was back in college. Some of you guys might have heard it. But it beautifully describes the impact that Jesus has had. Here is a young man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. Almost all of us listening to this right now have done more than Jesus did. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. And that was his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And then please listen. Nineteen centuries wide have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as this one solitary life. So do you understand? How is it possible that Jesus in three years impacted the world in the most profound ways possible? And we don't have time to go into all that. Hopefully this poem can illustrate a little bit of what he's done. But how is that possible? It's because he was so radically God-centered in the mission that he was on. And so here's the application. But as we face real problems in this world, okay, as you and I are grappling with real problems in our lives, okay, this is what I can say to encourage us this morning. But most of us are not God-centered enough. You are not God-centered enough. We are not God-centered enough or Christ-centered enough as we try to address the problems in our lives. We simply are not. And there are two ways that we are not God-centered and Christ-centered enough. First, we don't see the connection between Jesus' God-orchestrated, God-empowered mission and our current problems. We just don't make that connection. Day-to-day, week-to-week, as we go through life, dealing with all these things, we just don't make that connection. It is not a living connection in our lives. So we don't see how Jesus' mission is the answer to our problems. Like I said earlier, we don't see that connection. So for example, our ongoing struggle against sin. Most of us do not see how Jesus' mission can help us in this area. We don't realize how the only sin that can be defeated is forgiven sin. 
forgiven by Jesus, as John Piper likes to say. But we don't understand that. We don't make that connection, so we just struggle. We struggle. We struggle on our own. So we don't make these connections between Jesus' mission and our problems. Why? Because we are not God-centered enough. We are not Christ-centered enough in our approach to these struggles. So that's the first way. The second way is we are not God-centered and Christ-centered enough because we do not approach the problem in our lives and in the world the way Jesus did, according to the scriptures and in the anointing of the Spirit. We don't do it. We simply don't see our problems in that same way. We don't see God as the architect of the answers to our problems. We don't see God as the answer. We don't see him as the one who will empower us to solve these problems. I'm not talking about solving them in our way. No, his way. Not for our purposes. No, his purposes. But we simply don't see God as the answer. And this is why so many Christians do not seek him. They do not ask him. They do not read his word to see if there's anything that I can see in the scriptures of how God can solve these problems in my lives. And so for, for these reasons, we just continue on. Okay, these problems never seem to get solved. So we need to understand, before anything else, how Jesus came. Okay, Jesus came here on a mission, and when he came, he was radically God-centered. Okay, he was radically centered on the Father. Okay, he was living according to his script. Everything was according to his plan, his guidance, his leading, in his power. It was his anointing. And that's why Jesus changed the world in three short years, solving the deepest, most profound problems we all face. But there's something else. Next in Isaiah's prophecy, we see what he came to do, what he came to do. If you look at Luke 4, 18 through 19, it says Jesus was quoting again Isaiah. And Jesus said, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So three times there, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus said, proclaim, 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 or rather Isaiah said it, and Jesus quoted it. Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. So Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So every solution to our deepest problem starts right there with hearing the proclamation of the gospel. We need to hear the gospel, the good news. It all begins there. So to, to make it more practical, if you're struggling with pride, you need to hear how Jesus humbled himself by becoming nothing. He became one of us. We talked about that last week during Christmas service. But then he went further than that. He humbled himself and became a servant. And then he humbled himself even more than that to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he did it to take away the judgment that is upon us because of our pride. So you need to hear that if you're struggling with pride. If you're struggling with lust, you need to hear how Jesus served his bride and gave his life for her so that now we may be cleansed and empowered to love our spouses. Or if you're not married yet, your future spouse. But we need to hear that. If you're struggling with greed, you need to hear how Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and became poor. Paul said he gave up his riches and became poor so that we may become rich in him. You need to hear that if you're struggling with money and greed. If you're struggling with fear, you need to hear how Jesus faced the most terrifying things in life. We're talking about persecution, people coming directly against our beliefs, death, God's judgment upon sin. 
These are the most terrible things we can face, and yet he overcame them all. Why? So that we would never have to face these things alone. You need need to hear that. I need to hear that. This is the proclamation of the good news. So every solution to the deepest problems we face, it begins there. We need to hear the proclamation of this good news. But Jesus came to do more than just proclaim. If If that was it, that would be good. But he did so much more than that. But the good news he proclaimed, he became. He became. What do I mean? Jesus didn't just proclaim the good news. He is the good news. Right? He didn't just come to proclaim liberty to the captives. He became liberty for the captives. What I mean is, Jesus didn't just come and tell people, hey, there's a salvation here. Right? There's freedom for you guys. Come get it. There's healing. But rather, Jesus announced it, and then he paid the price for it. Right? He became the cost. He paid the cost himself for all these things. You know, Bible scholars say that the language in Isaiah 61, that prophecy, is very similar to the language of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. So, so words like release and liberty, these are the things that are mentioned in Leviticus 25 when Moses talked about Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. So, so what is that? Well, the year of Jubilee was a very special event instituted by God, and it happened every 50 years, and get this, it's amazing, but every 50th year, God commanded the Israelites to cancel all debts. I would imagine in my own sinful mind that on the 49th year, you're going to get a credit card and just rack it up, baby. No, I'm just kidding. But people had all their debts canceled. It was mandated by God. All the land that was bought and swapped and changed hands, it went all the way back to the original owners. Every 50 years, all the land went back to the original owners. If you were a slave on the 50th year, it was your day. Because every slave in the land was set free. And not only that, but everybody was commanded to rest from working the land for one year to spend time with family. Just enjoy it. It was an entire Sabbath year, not just a Sabbath day, but an entire year of just rest, don't work, enjoy time with family. Can you imagine that? Every 50 years that came around. So as you could imagine, the year of Jubilee was an incredibly special time and it symbolized restoration Rest, rebirth, a new beginning. So Jubilee was really a time of new beginning. So it was an amazing time. And through the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said, unbelievably, again, in the small little town, in the small little synagogue, he said, all of you hearing this, this prophecy, today it is fulfilled. In other words, today Jubilee's begun. Jesus said, I am bringing this new era of Jubilee. For the entire nation of Israel, but not only Israel, the whole world, Jesus is saying, I am bringing jubilee. So how would Jesus do that? By paying the cost for jubilee himself. So going back to the original jubilee, as amazing as it would be, right? Every 50th year, all deaths are canceled, all slaves are set free, all the land is returned back to the original owners. Okay, everybody had to rest for a year from working the land. As amazing as all of that is, if you think about it, It wasn't free though, right? It was free for one group of people, but it was very costly for the other group. So yeah, if you're the one in debt, yeah, praise God. But if you're the one who was owed money, I mean, you had to write that off. If you're the slave, yeah, praise God, I'm set free. But if you were the slave owner and you depended on these people for work, then there was a heavy cost, right? And so even though one people benefited, the other group had to pay a heavy cost. So Jubilee was not free. And Jesus 
when he came and he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, my mission is to come here and to bring a jubilee, a new era of jubilee, not only for you guys, but for the whole world, and I'm going to pay the cost myself. This is what Jesus was saying. In order for our debt of sin to be canceled, in order for us to be set free from the bondage and slavery to sin, in order for us to receive back our inheritance in God that was taken away from us when we fell into sin, when the enemy took it away, for us to receive all of this back, Jesus said, I had to pay a price. I've come to pay the price. This is his mission. This is what he came to do. So earlier in Isaiah, there's another prophecy explaining the cost the Messiah would pay, a very famous prophecy just a few chapters before. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Isaiah, again, looking far into the future, 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah says, surely, this servant of the Lord, this Messiah figure, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's the cause right there. He was wounded. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's the cost. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the servant of the Lord, the iniquity of us all. Do you, do you see that? Repeatedly, again and again and again, we read in this prophetic statement, the Messiah, when he comes, will pay a heavy, heavy cost. Why? So that we can have our jubilee. And by the way, that passage sounds like it's taken straight out of the Gospels or maybe Paul's letters, but it's not. It's buried deep in the Old Testament. Okay, it's in the book of Isaiah. This is one of the key passages Jews read to come to faith in Christ. They're like, what? This is in our Bible? They, they, they never knew. And then when you, they read about Jesus, they're like, it perfectly matches. So this is another key prophecy about what the Messiah would come to do. Jesus came on his father's mission to rescue us, to bring jubilee into our lives, and it cost him. It was a heavy cost. So when Jesus came, he proclaimed the good news, but he did more than that. He became the good news. Right? He achieved it on our behalf. And by the way, this good news was proclaimed to who? It says here, to the poor, to the captives. And this, we have a tendency when we read this to, to see it as purely spiritual. Okay, I think Christians kind of like to do that. They make things very spiritual when they read these passages. But Jesus did not come here only to do things in a purely spiritual sense. Okay, this was not just purely spiritual poverty or spiritual captivity or spiritual blindness. But when Jesus was here, he really opened blind eyes. These are real eyes he opened. He really set people free from demonic oppression. He really lifted up the poor and the powerless, especially women and children. He really did these things. It wasn't just spiritual in our hearts, right? He really did these things. And so Christians have to understand this, that when Jesus came here on mission, on his father's mission to bring jubilee, it wasn't just spiritual, something in heaven one day. But it was real here on the earth in real ways that it impacted this world. And this is why Christians throughout history have understood this. And this is why Christians were the first to start hospitals. Many of you guys are in the medical field. You work in the hospital. You need to thank Jesus for that. Christians began the first hospitals. Christians were the first to start the abolition movement to end slavery. The first person on record to denounce slavery was a Christian bishop, Gregory of Nyssa. 
The first relief organizations, like the Red Cross, were started by Christians. This is why. It's because they understood Jesus' jubilee is not only up in heaven, something spiritual, but it's right here on the earth. So Jesus' mission has always attacked head-on real-world problems, okay, real issues in real people's lives. You know, I love what Abraham Kuyper said. But he said, there is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus does not cry out, mine. Everything belongs to Jesus. Jesus is Lord over everything. So what does that mean, brothers and sisters? That means Jesus is on mission, and this mission is still going today. And so if you want to make your life be about the most important thing possible this upcoming year, you need to connect yourself to that. You need to enter the stream of what Jesus is doing, who he is and what he's come to do. Jesus is Lord, and he is declaring every square inch of creation mine, mine. And it's happening through the church, God willing, through all of us. So Jesus came to attack real world problems. Okay, not only the things that are spiritual, of course he came to do that, but also the things that are practical and real. You know, John Oswald, he's an Old Testament scholar, but he said this about the poor that Jesus came to save. How do we understand the poor? Is it just poor in spirit, people who are poor spiritually? According to Oswald, no. Who are the poor? This is a quote. Who are the poor? Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Have you ever been like that? You are the poor. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. It just seems like a fantasy to you to be free because you're so wrapped up in addictions, bondages. The poor, they are those who think they will never again experience the favor of the Lord. It's too late for me. I've screwed up too much. Or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. People have wronged me, but I have no hope that there's ever going to be justice. These are the poor. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the servant Messiah shouts good news. This is who Jesus came to. When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, this is what Jesus is talking about. Yes, poor in spirit. Yes, you don't know God. You're dead spiritually. But beyond that, the people broken and ravaged and crushed by all the things in this world, Jesus said, good news. There is good news. I've come to bring jubilee. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to solve the deepest problems that we all face. You need to understand that. The problems of sin, death, God's wrath, of course, those are the greatest problems. But we can't stop there. So many Christians just stop there. But Jesus also came to solve the problems of disease, poverty, broken relationships, ignorance, injustice, addictions, aimlessness. People have no purpose in life. Depression, despair, hopelessness. Jesus came to redeem all of that as well. And he did it at the cost of his very own life. So if you were to pay something with your very own life, do you think you're going to be committed, <laughs> right? If you poured out everything you have, you gave your very life for something, let's say a job or a degree, are you going to just be like the next day, ah, I don't care about this anymore? Of course not. You are going to be absolutely committed to your last breath to see this through. And this is Jesus. He gave his very life. So we need to understand how sweeping, how total Jesus' mission is. Okay, this is why he came. This is what we must center our lives upon this year. And hopefully we're going to hear a lot more about this. And it can start small, right? It can start right here. It can start with your family. 
Just start with your marriage. Just start with your roommates. Just start small, but then it begins to spread. And then it spreads to the church, the community around us, and then God willing, the world, right? This is how the mission of Jesus will move. So this is why or what Jesus came to do. So then what's the problem? Why are so many people not engaged? Why are they not centering their lives on what is the greatest? Well, this is our final point, why he was rejected. Why he was rejected. So we saw how he came, what he came to do, and then now why he was rejected. So if you look at Luke 4, 22 through 29, it says, all spoke well of him. Everyone in his hometown were saying, wow, wow, Jesus, that's great what you're saying. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then, even as they were like, wow, right, curious, they said, is not this Joseph's son? Wait, I know who this is. This is Joseph's kid, right? And then, and then he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. Jesus knew their minds. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. We heard all the miracles you've done. Why don't you do it here, Jesus? And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They got P.O.'d. They were so angry. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and they pushed him to the brow, the edge of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. What? (laughs) What's going on here? At one moment, they're amazed. Wow, Jesus. Wait a minute. Is that Joseph's kid? We know who Jesus, we know who you are. And then Jesus said, I know what's in your heart, right? You're testing me. Okay, you want me to do some miracles here. You're testing me. And then Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. When God sent Elijah and Elisha the prophets, they were not sent to anyone in Israel, but rather they were sent to the Gentiles far away, to a faraway people. That's who received the miracles, not the people of God. And in the same way Jesus was saying, I'm not going to do any miracles for you guys. I'm not going to do anything. But rather God will send me further away. And so when Jesus said that, basically he was saying, in the same way Elijah and Elisha came during the darkest period in Israel's history, it was spiritually dark. There was paganism, idolatry everywhere. Jesus is saying, you're the same. You're the same. There is spiritual darkness here. And because of your darkened hearts, I will not do anything for you. And so I'm going back to the original question, but so what is the problem? Why do so many people, if the good news is this great, If this is the only answer to all our deepest problems, why do people, so many people not engage, right? Even many of us here, why do we not engage and center our lives around the most important thing? Well, it's because of this very same heart that the people in Nazareth had. In some way, we're living in a darkened generation, and because of that, our hearts get darkened as well. And we're all there, right? We We all struggle with that. Me too. And so what does this darkened heart look like specifically? Well, there are two things. There's familiarity, and then there's there's a wrong expectation. But a darkened heart, at least for the Nazareth citizens, they had familiarity and they had these wrong expectations. 
So first, Jesus was too familiar to them. They said, wow, Jesus, what, what are these words you're saying? This is fulfilled today and what? what? Wait, aren't you Joseph's kid? And so immediately, they're like, we know who you are. We saw you when you were seven years old, kicking a ball around, right? We, we saw you trying to get your first job, and we, we saw you working through your issues when you were young. So there was this over-familiarity. And because of that, like the saying goes, it bred contempt in their hearts. And so unlike a lot of the pagan people out there who have never heard of Jesus, or rarely, they've never been to church, who are the ones most success- susceptible to this? It's people in the church. It's all of us. And so this is a part of a darkened heart, is there's too much familiarity with Jesus. And because there's too much familiarity, we're like, we know what Jesus is about. We know who he is. And yeah, he's on mission. Yeah, he died for me. And I'm just going to go on with my life. And so there isn't that connection. See, we lose that connection. We don't center our lives on what is greatest. And then we go on to try to solve the very problems Jesus came and solved already. The very jubilee Jesus paid with his very own blood to bring to us, we're trying to find our own jubilee. Why? Because there's too much familiarity. Oh, Jesus, I know Jesus. I've been there. I've done that. I've been to retreats, right? I've been to church. I've seen these songs. And so this is the darkened heart that Jesus is pointing out. But then there's something else. There were wrong expectations. What they expected of Jesus, or of God, I should say, was not this. This was not this. When Jesus showed up saying, I am the one, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, that was not what they thought. That is not what they expected. So they had a thought of how God was going to work. They were praying and hoping for deliverance. They wanted to be free. See, a lot of the Jewish people, even though they came out of Egypt and they were no longer slaves in Egypt, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, most of the Jews still felt like slaves. It was written about in their writings in the writings of the Pharisees and rabbis, but they still felt like slaves. Why? Because they were still under the oppression of Rome. So they still felt like they were in exile. They were still enslaved, even though they actually weren't. And so they had a certain expectation of what Jesus, the Messiah, would do. The Messiah, we're not sure if it's you, Jesus, but once the Messiah really does come, then there is a certain way he's going to do things, right? He's going to march into Rome and the capital and then declare freedom, and he's going to deliver us and march an army to free us, I mean, and there are all these things that they expected, but not this, right? So there are wrong expectations. Now, I remember hearing this one interview with uh, atheist. He's a scientist, a physicist, and <clears throat> he's a Jew. <coughs> so sorry, <laughs> something went down my throat. <laughs> but he's a Jew, and he grew up hearing these stories, but now he's an atheist, and this is what he said. But when the interviewer asked him about his atheism, going, well, what do you make of God and Jesus? And then this is what he said. He's like, forget Jesus. Forget Jesus. He's like, I don't even understand why people follow Jesus. I mean, so parochial. Parochial means just so, like, local, right? A Jewish carpenter in some little town. I mean, why would I believe in that? It's so parochial. He's like, forget Jesus. He's like, the stars. That's what you should think. Don't think Jesus. The stars. And he's a physicist, right? He studies cosmology. He's like, the stars died to give you life, (laughs) okay? The stars died to give you life. Forget Jesus. And so why would somebody have that kind of a heart towards the Messiah, the one who came to bring the answer to our deepest problems? It's because it's too familiar, and it's unexpected, right? That's not the way God would work if there is a God. I, I can't believe in this. 
And so is there any of this in your heart as well? Is there any sense of like, well, God has to do this, X, Y, Z, and then Z needs to connect to A, and then A has to go to B and C, and there's a certain way you got to see God work. And by the way, I've heard all these stories about Jesus, so I'm looking at something else. Okay, I, I need to find the latest new Christian book or go to this new experience, this new retreat, and i got to find something, right? It's still Jesus, but some new experience of Jesus, and, and God's got to work in a certain way. And so what is that? Well, I think it's the same heart that the Nazareth people had. He was too familiar, and it was wrong. It was all wrong in the way that he came, in the way that he was bringing this jubilee. And so because of that, they even became hostile to the point of wanting to throw him off a cliff. And figuratively speaking, none of us here will do that to Jesus, literally, but we do toss Jesus away, right? He gets tossed off a cliff in our lives. And so coming back to the theme of the new year, how are you going to make the most of this year, brothers and sisters? How, how are you going to make your life count for what is most important? Again, do you know what Jesus came to do? Do you know his mission, how he came, what he came to do? And then even the things that might cause us to reject him and, and be disconnected. But as long as you understand these things and you stay connected, you enter that stream, you will make the most of this year. Amen? So bow with me in prayer. As we come to a close, but Jesus is so good. He is our jubilee. He is our rest. He is the answer, our total answer to all our deepest problems. And if there's nothing else, if you can just understand that, then Jesus will forever be riveting. He will forever be in front, front and center in your life. Like Peter, you're going to say, where else would I go, Lord? You alone have the answers for eternal life. Right? You, you alone have the key to eternal life. Where, where else would we go? And so, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for our church in 2023 that we would be all about you. Yes, it sounds so cliched, familiar. It sounds so familiar. But unfamiliarize us. Make it fresh again. Help us to unfamiliarize who you are and what you came to do. Lord, most of us, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Help us to realign our expectations. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Are you poor? On this New Year's morning, are you poor? Then you need to understand Jesus has good news for you in a fresh way. Jesus has great news for you. And he wants you to be all about that this upcoming year. Experience it. Receive it. Share it. Spread it all about that no matter what else you're doing in your life this year be all about that so lord god that's my prayer for our church i pray that everybody else would also agree that is their prayer as well thank you lord jesus in your name we pray amen okay as we do every single sunday um whether we're online or in person let's just come before the lord and, and just spend a moment coming before him jesus is in the midst. He is with us.
not serve a dead God. There is no one in his tomb. But Jesus is alive and at large. And he is here with us by his spirit. And so just pray to him. And if God leads you to do this, then commit your life this upcoming year to him. To him. No matter what it is I do, what else I do, I will be about you. I will be about you. So let's just do that. separate things. These are, these are not unrelated things. Yes, I have my life here and I have all these problems here and I'm going to try to figure them out. And then I got my church life too and I got my, my walk with God over here. No. That is a false way of understanding who you are and what you came to do. But the very reason you came is because we cannot save ourselves. In the most profound and deepest problems we face, we cannot save ourselves. And so you came you saved us and in you are the total answers to our total needs so Lord God help us to make that connection 
Help us to make that connection and help us as a church to make that connection for others. Because the world simply does not know and that's why they are so lost. And that's why the world looks the way it looks. So help us, Lord God, to make that connection on behalf of others as well. So Lord God, we thank you, Lord. Make this year, 2023, so radically about you, so radically God-centered, Christ-centered. For some of us, for the first time, looking back on an entire year, saying that was a great year. There were challenges. Times were tough at times. But my goodness, it was a good year. God did so much. He moved me forward in so many different ways. Many of us have not experienced that. Or it's been a long time. So I pray, Father, that this year, that our church can say that, Lord. Thank you so much, Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to close with final worship.